This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Sabanfu, it's been just a wonderful opportunity here for myself and our other deep listeners and yourself, for that matter, for us to have this chance and opportunity to engage in this dialogue together. And I've always so appreciated the great joy and cheerfulness that you embody and bring to any time that I've ever had the pleasure and privilege to encounter you. And so I'm very much looking forward to this conference, even as I'm deeply appreciating the present moment here, because the gift, I think, of this very dialogue is not only to inspire that more such moments can happen between us, but in one's own life every day, today, for instance, and the moments that follow. Yes. And I'm very grateful uh, for you, for the gift of yourself to the world, really, um, and uh, for having such a strong and powerful vision that you can not only share with the world, but that you can get other people to be a part of the dance of that vision as well. And I think that is, um, that is a, a gift that uh, not everybody has, and uh, um, I, I thank you for holding that for all of us. Well, thank you very much, Saban Fu, and I want to thank our co-producers, Lorraine Tennyson and John Major Jenkins and everyone involved with this project, all the presenters that are part of this series that is now leading us, as it were, like milestones toward the conference on May 29 and 30. If people are wanting further information, they can go to wwwunveiling twenty twelve. Org. And we really extend an extraordinarily warm and intimate invitation for your participation. If you cannot physically put yourself in that environment, you're very much invited to participate through your deep listening to not only these dialogues, but to the continuation of living dialogues after that, and also to honor the fact that really it is true. And we're experiencing it with great gratitude for our listenership that as the world becomes smaller, we do experience in greater depth and greater joy our own common humanity. From time immemorial, beginning with indigenous councils and ancient wisdom traditions, through the work of Western visionaries such as Plato, Galileo, and quantum physicist David Bohm, mutually participatory dialogue has been seen as the key to evolving and transforming consciousness, evoking a flow of meaning, a dia flow of logos meaning, beyond what any one individual can bring through alone. So join us now as together with you, the active deep listener, we evoke and engage in living dialogues. Welcome to Living Dialogues. I'm your host, Duncan Campbell. And for this particular dialogue, I'm truly delighted to have my great friend as guest, Sabanfu Somay. Sabanfu Somay, I would like to introduce as someone born and raised in Burkina Faso, the former Upper Volta in Africa, and she is an initiated member of the Dagara tribe of West Africa. Her voice was one of the very first in recent times to bring African spirituality to the West. She continually travels the world, conducting seminars and workshops that offer her perspective on birth, pregnancy, community, healing, intimacy, rituals, 
the sacred quality of everyday life, and much more. She is the founder of Wisdom Spring, Inc., and the co-founder with Susan Huff of the Walking for Water Project, which preserves indigenous wisdom and brings the gift of water, the gift of life, to places around the world, particularly in Africa, where it is most needed. Her books include Welcoming Spirit Home, Ancient African Teachings to Celebrate Children and Community, The Spirit of Intimacy, Ancient Teachings in the Ways of Relationships, and Falling Out of Grace. She also is the author of a six-CD set, available from Sounds True, entitled Women Wisdom from the Heart of Africa. So, Sabanfu, literally, what a great joy and delight to be back together here on Living Dialogues. Oh, it's an honor to be back here. We've always had such wonderful dialogues together and great times when we've seen each other here and there in conferences and so on. And uh, this particular opportunity is very special because we're coming together as the third in a series of dialogues on the road to 2012 now, Empowering the Transformation, a gathering that will take place May 29 and 30 in beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, in the natural environs of the state of Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. And that might seem initially to be a far journey away from home where you grew up and you were born in Burkina Faso, but you've been for many years now in North America as your base. You've wonderfully woven your own consciousness into the Northern American culture and, as I can personally testify, have given great gifts of energy, illumination, joy, and, and vision uh, in a place where, as Alice Walker put it, much has been broken in our culture and Western civilization, and you have found a way drawing on your own heritage to give a gift that helps put it all back together. And that really is our venture here together. It's the venture that the Mayans had in mind when they originated their long count calendar. It's the vision that the Vedas had in mind, uh, the Egyptians, the Greeks. Uh, we could say all the great cultures in history from all the corners of the world have found ways to articulate this human journey of all of the stresses and strains and joys and sorrows as a way of the soul's unfoldment. And so with that background, I'd just like to invite you to talk from your own perspective of how you personally are envisioning uh, this public fascination with the year 2012 and this event that is now getting more and more attention of the so-called galactic alignment that will occur on December 21. 2012. Well, let me say that um, uh, the myth of the Mayan people have become one of the greatest myths that is impacting the whole world, and that as I, as an individual, um, you know, journey in this world, because that's what it's all about, you know, we, we are born, it's a journey that we come uh, here to uh, be on, not to just sit still, but to be on this journey. Um, so as I look into this uh, great cosmology and I, I bring it to my own cosmology in looking to see, you know, what does 2012 mean? Um, and uh, for the Dagra people, it is a fire year, which means that it is a year, you know, to basically, you know, go back to the root, go back to the origin in order to, you know, be reborn with a new vision, um, uh, to, to redress yourself in such a way that it is appealing, 
to life again, that you can stand up and wholeheartedly be able to say yes to life. Um, and so this is a, a very exciting conference because it is, um, you know, definitely taking us uh, beyond limitation, beyond uh, narrow-mindedness uh, to a place where we have to become uh, not only co-creator but also be that thing that will be created by life so that we can be turned into that place that can be needed, that can be manipulated and made into shape and forms that uh, uh, will create what the, uniform, uh, the universe is uh, uh, calling uh, or wanting uh, uh, from all of us uh, at this time and space. And so uh, this conference uh, is, uh, is about uh, not only being able to uh, be flexible, um, break away old pattern, um, but to also look at uh, the uh, journey uh, as I look at it personally, you know, the journeys that I have been on from the time even before I was born to the time I have been born to now. You know, what are some of the things that this big myth has been calling for me uh, to do, you know, in terms of uh, the need to um, uh, be reborn, the, the need to be uh, made anew again. Um, and so uh, we are going to have a lot of fun there. And I like it that you say a lot of fun because that really is very much part of this because uh, we might say in the general culture, there has been a really profound misunderstanding even of the word apocalypse. When people talk in the ordinary culture of an apocalyptic moment or the apocalypse, many people feel that this means an era of destruction or catastrophe or the end of the world. People are fond of talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, pestilence, you know, the swine flu, AIDS, the SARS, warfare famine and also natural disasters, that somehow we are entering a period of the end of the world. And the popular cinema, we are told, will have a film very much like that at the end of this year in December of 2009. And yet, as we know, and we have said on the website for this conference, which is www.unveiling2012.org, the actual etymological meaning of the word apocalypse is unveiling, lifting the veil, mm. or revelation. And so one of the most interesting things you said in a prior conversation we had about this was that you feel that this conference is very timely from your own perspective and very appropriate because you see many of us in the contemporary world addicted to drama that drama and conflict is something that we've come to accept maybe even as a necessary part of life that we crank up on our 24-hour news, cable TV, if it's not happening naturally, and that people are really kind of led to a certain fatalism that the only way out of any situation is basically death or the death of a relationship, the end of an era, and that sort of thing. And when actually what we're really being invited to do in these very intense times is whenever that stress builds up in us to the point of breaking, that this is really like the egg breaking. There's something happening here. And if we can stick together and find a way to communicate with our deeper selves and unveil 
as Barack Obama put it in his inaugural address, our common humanity, then we can reach a state of joy and celebration together rather than depression and conflict. Right. Uh, you, you know, you're absolutely right because people are addicted to drama, um, addicted to negativities. Um, and, and so when you're talking about, um, you know, uh, 2012, you know, all people see is death and end, you know, a process where there is no other way out. Uh, whereas uh, what this myth is really uh, saying is that um, we have come to a place where we need to be anew, and there are many possibilities. And the possibilities are being made right now um, so that we don't have to hold a one way uh, of looking at the world because uh, that one way of looking at the world is what leads to, yes, the death when, we, uh, uh, when the universe is saying change, when the universe is saying please surrender, please allow another you to be reborn, and you don't uh, really see that as a possibility. Uh, that can lead to fatality because you realize that, oh, well, there's no other way. So um, if death is coming, then uh, it's death. It doesn't mean, you know, death of the ego, death of the way I see uh, how life is happening, uh, death of, um, you know, the old self. Um, and so, you know, instead of giving birth to something, you kill something. And, and that is actually a very sad way of looking at the world because, you know, when we look at nature, you know, nature does not say that it is the end. You know, you, you get to fall, you know, the leaves shed, everything falls, the trees are barren. And then, you know, it takes time. It goes through the transformation, you know, where it gets under the veil, and then, you know, when spring comes, the veil is lifted so that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the green can start to shoot again. You know, in the same way, we are called to you know, unveil ourselves, you know, to unmask ourselves, really, you know, to let go of what is old, what is not necessary, what is not useful uh, for us or for the world, so that we can, uh, you know, take on something new that will help us, again, be able to say yes to life. And that is what um, uh, we are going to be talking about at this conference, you know, how to stop looking in, you know, in just one way, but to, to have the many ways of looking at a thing, you know, an eagle eyes that can look into different things so you can make sensible decisions, um, which would take you away from fears and panic and negative thoughts and so on. And I love this vision of eagle eyes because it does suggest a great vision could emerge from this time of disintegration. Uh, one of the things that has been observed by a number of philosophers and mystics and indigenous elders over the millennia is that there cannot really be a rebirth or a new birth without first a disintegration or a falling away of the prior forms to make way for, as you put it, the green shoots of spring, uh, follow the death in the autumn and the death in the winter, the rest in the winter before the renewal in the spring. And so even today, when the Obama administration is talking about trying to resolve and cure, in some deep sense, the economic crisis, they're talking in that same language, which is language that people have been talking in for time immemorial, that they sense that there are some green shoots, some 
signs here and there in the economy that things are beginning to revivify. Now, of course, uh, they need to expand considerably more than they have so far before people can have any deep confidence that this isn't just some temporary statistic here or there that's not representative of a deep rebirth. But I'm just calling attention to the fact that when people talk about how do we bring something back to life, even if they're talking about the economy as opposed to the natural world, that image of the green shoots beginning to poke through after the long winter of our discontent is an image that can inspire us when we come together rather than to feel that we're kind of at the mercy of a world that we can't in any way actively participate in. Well, I think that is uh, actually what is exactly happening right now, is that the time before the rebirth, you know, we are in the time before the rebirth, you know, with, uh, you know, all the uh, political crisis, economical crisis, personal, collective crisis, that, you know, this is a time when we are going back to the cocoon, um, where we, we need to ask ourselves deep questions, where we need to really you know, root ourselves in a healthy manner, not in the same old uh, things uh, or, you know, create a new dysfunction, but to create a something uh, new that is healthy, that is soul-enlivening, and that is not just, uh, uh, you know, for the individual, but, you know, as well for the collective because uh, that were the case. So we are, we are in this um, before the 2012 because it is the necessities that we see something new so that as 2012 comes, you know, we can get ourselves, um, you know, to a place where we can celebrate, you know, not sit in the corner and, and, and just cry, but that we can celebrate together because we have uh, allowed, um, you know, the mysteries, uh, the myths to work us to, in such a way that we have become, you know, good uh, and juicy again. And I love it good and juicy because what it reminds me of is the work of one of our colleagues that will also be participating in this gathering, Stanislav Grof, who spent over 50 years in both clinical and personal research into the nature of the death-rebirth cycle. He invented, we might say, or brought through this concept in psychiatry and transpersonal psychology of the perinatal experience that prior to going into a good birth and emerging from the womb or the vagina, the baby, when it's born, first encounters what is called the no-exit stage, where in the first part of the four-part birth drama, we might say, the embryo is situated in what he calls perinatal one, peri meaning around the birth, and that's where it's situated in the womb and it's being nourished 24-7 and it's really at the center of the world. It's embedded in an alive, nurturing environment of the mother, just as our indigenous selves were experiencing themselves millennia ago as held in the warm embrace of a caring intelligence, held in, embedded in an alive universe where the landscape itself, the animals, the plants, were all part of a, we might say, sea of consciousness. And But then we began the necessary journey of individuation just as the embryo at some point gets pushed out of the womb, but the cervix is not open yet, and so it's in a kind of no-man's land in stage two, where it has that sense of no exit, darkness, complete isolation, despair, and then at stage three, it starts moving through the vagina with the labor pains and the 
contractions and then the release and the contractions and the release and finally in stage four, there's a birth. And we're obviously as a collective on the planet now in that kind of an environment where we are already launched into the birth experience and, and uh, we're, we're moving in this series of contractions and despair and then opening and hope and back and forth into a possibility now of really giving birth to something completely new. Yeah, uh, and that is what I, I describe in my uh, in my book as the, you know, uh, the, basically the, the idea of falling out of grace where, you know, you are in one place where everything is great, everything is wonderful, and then things change. Um, and that change is, uh, you know, the only constant in life, really, uh, where you have to basically allow yourself to go through the birthing process uh, so you can come back anew again. Without that um, uh, process, you, you can actually remain uh, out of grace because you are not allowing, you know, life to work with you so you can move for, uh, forward. And I love that image. It reminds me of Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun whom I happen to know and who has a book that's been very well-received called When Things Fall Apart. Mm. And, and of course, from the Buddhist perspective, and which is a universal perspective, actually, when things fall apart is the opportunity for rebirth and change. And so if we bottle up all of our tension and stress and never express it, uh, even if we express it in a mistaken way, let's say, uh, we'll put the word mistake in quotation marks here, even if we express it in a way that comes out as maybe too aggressive or uh, not entirely inviting communication, but because you're enacting a kind of breaking out of the, the shell, if we can reframe it in this larger context with a certain kind of compassion, not only for our fellow beings, but also for ourselves, that that is part of the birthing process. And as the Buddha taught, without suffering, which also includes a lot of self-recrimination, uh, we don't have a path. You would just, as Rick Tarnas, another one of our presenters put it, spend your whole life in the bubble bath eating bonbon. <laughs> you know, if life were like that, you know, there'd be no, there'd be no evolution. Absolutely, you know, it, it, it will be the opposite of uh, evolution, and and that is uh, exactly that kind of energy that when people stay in the bubble and uh, and, and, and eat bonbon, <laughs> I like that image, you know, that they end up to a place where you know they have no more um, ways of seeing that there is an opening anywhere, that there is uh, any way they can basically you know, um, uh, recede themselves and say yes to life again. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm excited that we are not going to be eating bonbon and sitting in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great, and I can add the little precision here, is that that metaphor is something that uh, Rick Tarnas talked about when he was explaining the difference between different kinds of astronomical or astrological alignments. And there's one that's called a trine, when the planets are lined up in a very harmonious way where you could stay in a steady state, let's say, of enjoyment, like being in the bathtub eating bombo. But then there are other alignments that happen in the shifting, evolving cosmos where they move to opposition or they move to a square, which are intensities uh, that invite strong opposition. Mm -hmm. And instead of being defeated by that, 
what Rick Tarnas uh, has uh, suggested in his great work, Cosmos and Psyche, which he'll be speaking about at this conference, is that we can lean into with self-compassion and compassion for others uh, that intensity and forgive ourselves and forgive others if we uh, get sloppy and go beyond the bounds because by leaning into it and not trying to shrink away from it, we can actually empower ourselves to move through these difficult, conflicting experiences and emotions that attend any kind of birthing, just like uh, the birth uh, contractions and release, contractions and release that happen in physical birth. And so he gave the example that uh, at one point uh, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, was experiencing what's called a seven-year Saturn return, which, mm. which meant that the energies of Saturn, which tend to be ending energies, they compress the uh, structures that you've been relying on. They break them down. They create the opportunity for new foundations, but it can be very uh, disconcerting, uh, to say the least, when you, the old structures you relied on are breaking down, and then you have to find your way in what can seem a chaotic universe. Well, at that very point is the opportunity for uh, transcendence and rootedness at the same time. So he gave the example that where many people who go through that so-called seven-year Saturn return get defeated by it and uh, withdraw into a shell and get depressed, Shakespeare used that time to write all of his great tragedies. So that King Lear, for instance, was written by Shakespeare when he was in that particular mode or mood of his own life. So we've got King Lear, for instance, with his world falling apart and going mad on the moor in the rain, and then it's the love of the young daughter Cordelia that tries to bring him back and so on. But the point being that when these kinds of challenges arise, the end times, they're really also capable of being reframed as the beginning times, an occasion for real joyful celebration if we can come together in mutual trust and compassion and strength. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, behind any ending is a new beginning awaiting. Uh, if we are able to say yes to it, uh, the ending, and work with the ending, and, and like you were saying, you know, be able to lean into the change, be able to, you know, jump in. You know, it's like a, um, um, a, a vehicle moving towards you that, you know, instead of, uh, you know, standing there and waiting for it to come and hit you, but that you can move away and actually jump into the dance, you know, maybe uh, have a ride in the car, you know, after all. Um, and and that, those, those are the things that are really what makes things, you know, in, in my eyes, uh, you know, beautiful. Um, you know, this ability to, for us to be able to see, you know, uh, for instance, a new one coming in, you know, an and elder dying. You know, that it is painful, and at the same time that there is a beauty, there is a grace, um, there is something magical uh, that does take place. Uh, and without that beauty and that magic and that grace, uh, we would be um, missing what is essential in life. Um, and as a result, you know, can remain in madness and can become addicted to the madness. That's right. And reminded now of Alice Walker's words when speaking of your own work and the great indigenous living wisdom that you've brought with you in our time from Africa and from the elders of your own tribe and your own culture. She said that things have 
fallen apart. Many things have broken apart and become disconnected in our modern contemporary industrial culture. And I see that, again, in this metaphor of breaking the egg. You know, there is a sense at some point, as in that movie called Breaking Away, where an adolescent consciousness needs to break away, as the young teenager did on his bicycle in the bicycle race in Indiana and so on. Uh, But you need to break away from mother and father, even mother and father nature, as we've done for hundreds of years now with our scientific revolution and our industrial revolution and so on, to empower ourselves. But at a certain point, if we don't reconnect with a larger world, if we don't manage to go back and bring the best of the original connectedness back into our self-empowered fragmentation and individuality, then we wind up really in the same kind of addiction and even madness that you talk about, and certainly depression and anger and disempowerment. And so I love this metaphor that by turning to the ancestral, the older indigenous cultures, not in imitation, but to integrate them now, to reintegrate them into the human journey. All of us from any culture right now on the planet can benefit from this mutual gifting between the indigenous heritage and our contemporary modern culture and take the best of both and bring them into a new birth, a new vision waiting to be born. Yes, absolutely. You know, again, I I just want to talk about, you know, my own journey of uh, the breaking of the eggs, that it it is necessary, you know, it it is the opposite because, um, you know, coming from a very small community, um, you know, uh, where everything is held into a context where I felt completely lost, um, and yet that I needed to readjust, relearn how to be, uh, a part uh, of this culture, um, and that you know, encountering young people who were so fascinated who did not have time, you know, I had to, in, in a way, turn, you know, to the old people to help give me some sense of, um, you know, uh, uh, what what is going on and the need for me to basically, you know, help myself, uh, you know, break that cocoon. Um, and 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 how difficult, how challenging it was, and yet you know, without that, it would have been impossible for me to be, you know, in this culture to be able to, you know, bring, you know, uh, what my elders had in, in, entrusted me uh, with, um, and so so in that energy, you know, as we hold it, you know, within our families. Uh, in our relationships, in our work, that, you know, as the energy of uh, 2012, you know, arise within those areas, you know, be it that we are losing a job that, you know, or that we have lost it already, um, that, you know, our relationship is rubbly uh, 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 right now. You know, how do we begin, you know, to see that, you know, the egg inside of which we have been gestating all this time, uh, need to be broken, um, and, and and that there is already the support, you know, by the community that is, that exists there, and that everyone is really waiting for us to be able uh, to break this egg because you know just like the butterfly, if you break the, the cocoon, they're never going to be able to fly. Um, and so the work I'm saying this is that the work that we all need to do individually is to be able to break that cocoon 
you know, for ourselves, um, where we can begin, you know, to do the work individually and collectively, uh, because um, it, it is really critical uh, for the times that are coming. Uh, it is important to avoid, you know, what uh, the fears that uh, people are bringing uh, here, or to work with the fear that people have put out there, um, so that we can begin to. Uh, uh, create something together uh, that would create a new vision, um, a new, um, maybe, who knows, in a, a world that is completely different from what we know today. Indeed, and that's a very beautiful description of exactly what we'll be doing at the conference 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation in Fort Collins, Colorado, on May 29 and 30 of this year. It's a beautiful articulation of that very same vision. And I must say, it's the Mayan culture, like your own Dagara culture, giving an ancient gift to the modern world, not one for imitation, but one for germination, where we are going to move together into a new vision and a new world enhanced and enriched by bringing in all of the elder wisdom, just as you described so beautifully in your own personal journey. And so I think what that leads us to, Sabanfu, is an opportunity here for you to talk about your project that you and Susan Huff have brought into being here with a number of young people and their own aspiration called Walking for Water. Because in addition to gatherings like those that are inspired by this larger planetary vision that we will be conducting in Fort Collins on May 29 and 30, there will be an information there and an invitation to those that uh, feel so called to connect to this other project, which actually literally has linked a number of young people from here back to the literal ancient geography of the village in Africa where you were raised and other villages in Africa to participate in digging in the earth and bringing forth wells and this precious gift of life in a concerted, beautiful collaboration. So tell us about that project and how it came into being and what's involved with it today. Well, uh, Working for Water was uh, uh, born um, uh, after I went to a uh, high school and made a presentation uh, to the teenager about uh, the importance of uh, their gift in the world and uh, how they might be able to uh, uh, share that with the rest of the world. And uh, these young people were very interested in um, uh, uh, in the lives of young people uh, their own age back in Africa, what might their day uh, be like, um, and uh, how uh, uh, can I help them imagine uh, such a situation. And as I describe the everyday life uh, that those uh, um, uh, children live back in Africa, like I once did, um, it w- a, it, they were very uh, struck by this idea of uh, people walking uh, for water, walking for miles and miles and miles um, uh, one way uh, to get a, a bucket of water and sometimes a big, a huge container of water that they have to carry on their head and walk back to their villages. Um, and uh, a few of the young people came and, and, and thought that it was maybe a joke and then realized that it was serious. And uh, one of the uh, uh, teenagers, uh, particularly Kristen Karinshak, went home, and she came back, and she said, I'm really disturbed by this idea of people having to spend so much time, you know, walking for water. 
if they walk for water, why can't we walk for water to help them uh, be able to have uh, water, which is uh, water for us, which is uh, a life uh, force. It is um, uh, a life-saving uh, entity because wherever there is water, uh, there is life. Uh, and um, and so um, w- walking for water came as a result of young people wanting to not only help out uh, the people in Africa, but also as a way of living their life uh, uh, mission as well. Um, and so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, you know, this uh, uh, journey um, that we're talking about that is uh, uh, 2012, um, uh, the journeys that have been set forward since uh, uh, the last uh, um, uh, big event uh, took place, you know, to walking for water and the need to not only connect, you know, with the earth, to connect with people, to connect with the spirit, you know, so that, you know, as we're doing this thing for walking for water, you know, we are connecting to the spirit of our water, to the spirit of the land, um, you know, to the spirit of the rain and all of those forces that really help bring, you know, this wealth uh, together for the people to be able to nurture themselves and to save their lives as well. Well, it's so beautiful that it would arise like green shoots from an inspiration of young people. And yet, as we are going forward, we are going to see an invitation, I believe, to more and more intergenerational participation in this kind of vision. Uh, For instance, myself, I've made a proposal to the Obama administration about what I've called a new energy core, which would be modeled on the Peace Corps, but would bring the latest in micro technologies that would make water and solar and wind energy available at a scalable level from the smallest household to the largest uh, village around the world. And this would be a very much a two-way exchange that the young people with the energy in their bodies could actually help with the installation, the kinesthetic aspect of it, and also the sophisticated computer technology to the extent that was involved uh, to be able to explain that in a simple, empowering way to the people in the particular community, whether it be uh, a community in the United States, it could be uh, a Native American reservation, it could be uh, a ghetto, it could be a suburb. Any of these locales, including the locales from uh, countries all over the world, could benefit from this kind of interplay of the new energy technologies installed and working at every level of sophistication from, uh, as I say, uh, getting water flowing and cooking in a small hut to installing solar and wind turbines on a suburban household. But wow. Al- yeah, but also then having the older generation that is more familiar with the ways to create business containers to allow the beneficiaries of these technologies to become their own self-empowered business creators. They could be instructed in uh, microfinance. They could be instructed in basic business organizational aspects so that they would not be dependent on receiving one-way instruction or technologies. But as the old saying has it, they would be taught how to fish 
And in return, particularly when we're talking about interplay between cultures, whether it's Native American reservations or urban ghettos in America or cultures in other parts of the world, there would be a two-way exchange where modern people would be able to learn the ways that have been kept of community celebration, of ritual honoring of birth and death rituals, and the kind of joy that we see in communities that are alive, no matter what level of, quote, economic development they might be at. Wow, that is powerful. And I really, I really uh, praise that uh, they do accept uh, your proposition, because I think uh, those are the kind of uh, things, you know, we already um, link, uh, we're already close, we're already uh, uh, at a place where we are basically, you know, one entity and uh, connected and being able to have this kind of bridges, you know, is definitely going to make things so much more better than uh, we have had it in the past. And interestingly enough, they were just saying at the conclusion while we we're recording this dialogue of Barack Obama's first 100 days that more than any other president in the United States in memory or in history even since Franklin Roosevelt, he has in the first 100 days created the beginnings of a new economic, social, cultural, political, international paradigm. He's been uh, an expression of a new mentality, we might say, a new zeitgeist, a new spirit of the times, uh, the zeitgeist that's emerging not only in the political realm, but actually all over the world from the level of individuals all the way through collectives and nations that people are yearning for the possibility of not only a recovery from economic disintegration, but really a, a world of peace and harmony uh, that has been sought, of course, for millennia, but now seems actually within our grasp if we can get a mature enough psychology to hold the technologies that we've already developed in a mature and uh, really mutually supportive manner. And in this particular regard, he has been, uh, Barack Obama, because of the position of the United States, a voice that has been heard at the moment of his inauguration on television screens around the world, more so than the Super Bowl or other events that people uh, you know, have uh, tuned into on TV. And, and, and one of the things he said in his inauguration address that's very similar to what you just uh, articulated, Sabanfu, was that as our world becomes smaller through telecommunications, television, and so on, as our world becomes smaller, and that's also through the impact of climate change, you know, one, mm -hmm. one person in one part of the world is going to be impacted by somebody else's uh, way of using resources. So his full quotation was, as the world becomes smaller, our common humanity is revealed to us. And it is this that gives men and women and children everywhere the opportunity to celebrate. And so here we are. We're presented with a huge set of challenges, but also with a huge possibility for celebration. And one of the things I would like to um, talk about here before we conclude this uh, wonderful dialogue is the whole idea in culture over time, and particularly the indigenous cultures from the beginning, of initiation and celebration, and why certain stages in the life cycle and certain events that a community encounters together 
are seen as opportunities for celebration and initiation into a new consciousness rather than uh, basically challenges that cause us retreat into the cocoon and try to save ourselves and not pay attention to anyone else. Well, I, I really believe that that in, initiation is a necessity, um, you know, much like, uh, you know, what 2012 is saying here, um, yeah, which is a big initiation. It, it, initiation is a necessity because we have to initiate in order to be able to move forward, to be able to uh, tap into our essence, into our gift, and so on. And, you know, um, in my uh, tradition, the first initiation that we all go through is that of being born uh, because we are coming uh, from being uh, fully spirit to taking on these human uh, uh, suits that we call the body. Um, and, and, you know, uh, also, it, it, you know, it, we will go through many, many initiations, the initiation of... Uh, uh, for some of us, it might be being born into a crazy family where you will have to, again, learn how to lean into life so that you can survive, or whether it be, um, you know, the initiation of uh, fully coming into the human being and, you know, uh, being uh, shocked by the human reality, uh, which for the Dagara people, you know, usually happens around the age of five. Um yeah, and 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 that and all those small initiation, you know, culminates to the big initiation that we go through, you know, when we become teenagers, uh, because that initiation is really uh, critical in helping us to break uh, free this uh, box that contains the gift that we have brought, you know, to share with the world, and that's what makes us wrestle with ourselves, wrestle with everybody around us so that we can, you know, basically go away from what we knew, you know, in order to, you know, shed the skin, you know, that has basically kept prisoner, this gift that we hold within ourselves. So in breaking that uh, free, you know, we are going to alienate some people. We are going to make some friends. Um, but nonetheless, we are going to uh, go through this initiation um, so that we, A, can be alive, and B, so the gift can also uh, um, be given birth to. So it's a mutual birth that is being given to, really, you know, the birth to the self and the birth to the gift. Um, and, and, so, and that is really critical because if we, uh, we come here and we don't give birth to the gift, um, you know, then what is our purpose for being in this realm? Um, and again, that initiation is going to prepare uh, prepare us for other initiation. We will be going through, you know, the initiation of, uh, you know, being married, the initiation of becoming a parent or becoming an elder. I mean, you you basically name it. And so, so so we uh, we are going through initiation. We are being initiated uh, right now. Um, it, it it might be a different kind of initiation that we are used to. But nonetheless, it is an initiation that is important. And I think what, what we're talking about in the conference here is that we are going to get to the place where we are basically uh, going to celebrate is for us together to be able to give birth, you know, uh, to ourselves and to whatever new vision is going to come out of this conference 
so that uh, we can together welcome each other and celebrate together. And, and, and I think that is the icing on the cake, you know, that is awaiting us. I think absolutely that's the case. And, uh, you know, myself as master of ceremonies and yourself as the person who will be leading us in the concluding celebratory ritual are both involved in helping the entire uh, gathering uh, to activate uh, all of us together a kind of transformational space where not only the presenters who will be articulating on the stage, but all of the participants with their deep listening that are evoking from whoever articulates uh, the statements that are made, the insights that are articulated, really are coming out of the group energy field. And this will also be something we can all look forward to at the lunchtime on Saturday when there is going to be a large and deliberate space for people in very small groups to share stories, deep stories with each other and evoke and integrate the experience, which is very essential to a true initiation that's not just a transmission one way of information, uh, but is actually a transformative initiation where together we can evoke an experience that is both very intimate and personal in our sense of shift, as well as a kind of collective amplification that allows that allows all of us to celebrate, as Barack Obama suggested, our common humanity. And that experience has a great carryover effect into our everyday lives and relationships. Now, how amazing is that? Because... Uh you know, a lot of people go into, into conferences and never really get to put their voice in. And, you know, in the Dagger tradition, when you go anywhere, they always try to get your voice, you know, uh, in because it's like we are all making this huge cauldron and the stories that we bring, you know, they, whatever thing we share, you know, of ourselves, you know, is part of what is going to make whatever we're cooking really delicious. And for people to be able to have this as a gift, uh, not only to themselves, but they give to the community, I really believe is amazing. Oh, that's beautifully put. I love the image that you give here of together we're collectively creating a crucible or a great cauldron, not only a crucible for the water of life, but a great cauldron in which to cook and use the fire of life to transform uh, our experience because these are transformative elements. All of the elements are like earth is nurturing, wind is empowering, a fire literally is transforming, transforming, and water is liquid and fluid and moves between the solid state of ice to, uh, you know, the evaporated state of the clouds. And so every one of the elements will be involved here, will be having time outdoors. We will be celebrating the natural world in a beautiful natural environment there in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I think everything that is pointing in these dialogues as they're evolving here with our first one with Robert Sittler, where he emphasized the joy and the wisdom that's accessible in everyday life that he himself has experienced in the Mayan culture and uh, which he shares so beautifully uh, with John Major Jenkins, whose great research into the galactic alignment and embedding it and situating it in connection to the primordial tradition, sometimes called the perennial philosophy, and bringing it above all into the now, that this is not an event that we're waiting for, that 
we're going to have to be acted upon at some time in the future. But it is an atmosphere of opportunity that's present right here, right now, and that will be our focus and is our focus, even as you and I speak right now. And this dialogue that's occurring is evoked by the virtual deep listening of anyone who will listen to this. Uh, it could be tomorrow. It could be uh, at the conference. It could be two years from now. But that yeah. that energy field is present right now and helping germinate and evoke from you and I what we're saying and inviting people to. So uh, in a sense that you and I are acting here as inviters and embodiments of uh, the kind of dialogue and transformation that uh, we can anticipate will be happening and amplified at at that particular moment on May 29 and May 30, but that's only a moment in a continuum of many moments before and after that we're all already uncovering and unveiling in people all over the world. Yes, and, you know, as you as you speak and you share that, you know, it, it makes me think about, you know, this, um, um, you know, today being this uh, energy that, renews itself time and again, uh, which, you know, gets stronger every time, you know, the energy being shared every time. So as people today listen to it, you know, and share with other people, it is renewed and it, it gets stronger and so on. That, that, that's the image that came to me. Well, I have to say, Sabanfu, it's been just a wonderful opportunity here for myself and our other deep listeners and yourself, for that matter, for us to have this chance and opportunity to engage in this dialogue together. And I've always so appreciated the great joy and cheerfulness that you embody and bring to any time that I've ever had the pleasure and privilege to encounter you. And so I'm very much looking forward to this conference, even as I'm deeply appreciating the present moment here, because the gift, I think, of this very dialogue is not only to inspire that more such moments can happen between us, but in one's own life every day, today, for instance, and the moments that follow. Yes, and I'm very grateful uh, for you, for the gift of yourself to the world, really, um, and uh, for having such a strong and powerful visions that you can not only share with the world, but that you can get other people to be a part of the dance of that vision as well. And I think that is, um, that is a, uh, a gift that uh, not everybody has. And uh, um, I, I thank you for holding that for all of us. Well, thank you very much, Saban Fu, and I want to thank our co-producers, Lorraine Tennyson and John Major Jenkins and everyone involved with this project, all the presenters that are part of this series that is now leading us, as it were, like milestones toward the conference on May 29 and 30. If people are wanting further information, they can go to www.unveiling2012.com. Org. And we really extend an extraordinarily warm and intimate invitation for your participation. If you cannot physically put yourself in that environment, you're very much invited to participate through your deep listening to not only these dialogues, but to the continuation of living dialogues after that, and also to honor the fact that really it is true. And we're experiencing it with great gratitude for our listenership that as the world becomes smaller, we do experience in greater depth and greater joy our own common humanity. And so with that, as your host, Duncan Campbell, I want to very much invite you to be with us both here on Living Dialogues and to the extent possible at the conference on 2012 Now 
empowering the transformation. Be with us next time on Living Dialogues. 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation, a uniquely innovative, interactive, and affordable gathering in this time of global uncertainty, co-sponsored by Sounds True and KGNU, will take place Friday night and all day Saturday, May 29 and 30, at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts in Fort Collins. Beyond just information to practical tools for change and direct experience of participating in the ongoing transformation of our times. Now is the time and the opportunity to synchronize consciousness with the evolutionary pulse of the cosmos. Join world-renowned speakers as we explore and experience together the transformative dynamics necessary for a successful transit from now through the year 2012 and beyond. Featuring Stanislav Groff, Richard Tarnas, John Major Jenkins, Saban Fusome, Duncan Campbell, William Henry, Robert Sittler, and Christine Page. More information available on the website www.unveiling2012.org. See you then. And visit us on my website, livingdialogues.com. That's living, D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E-S dot com. And if you'd like to listen freely to additional archived visionary dialogues with myself and other transformational thinkers listed on my livingdialogues.com website, once you have entered your free subscription to the Living Dialogues podcast here on Personal Life Media, future Living Dialogues will automatically be downloaded to your computer on a weekly basis. Or simply browse through the list of programs here whenever you like, download them, or listen to them on your computer. Thanks again for your deep listening in evoking this program. All the very best. And stay tuned now after the music for some very interesting opportunities available to you as a listener to Living Dialogues. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.